0: Welcome to One of 200, the international and New Zealand media, politics, analysis, media, whatever else. Uh, we feel like covering podcast. It's just me and Philip this morning. How's it going, man?
1: Morning. It's good. It's good. It, it may just be us. We can be lonely voices in the, in the void, but hey, we've got each other. And we've got you, the listener. And that's the, that's the true third party member uh, who we need to round this
0: out. And you've got us uh almost always here for a a weekend episode yeah develop a parasocial relationship
1: with us make it weird um think about us as a real friend that you have instead of just a pocket friend who you listen to and
0: sometimes agree with yeah um actually become more antagonistic of anything uh would be my um shout out that'd be Uh, good yeah one
1: of 200 your persistent frenemy over the years (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's how you get that's how you
1: get true buy-in uh trump showed us how exactly exactly as long as you're feeling something towards us antipathy's fine um helps us sell more uh widgets we're
0: going to cover three things today Uh, i wanted to briefly touch on fair pay agreements again business new zealand has has continued uh just talking shit um wanted to talk about some of the changes to the covid response we're coming to winter it's not looking particularly good And heading into international relations, uh, looking at the New Zealand and US relationships uh, such as it is um, post Ardern's visit uh, with Biden during the week. So let's kick it off with some Business New Zealand stuff, that uh, fair pay agreements, what do you call it, situation, all started a a little while back now, Uh, Business New Zealand has been agitating against the idea of fair pay agreements since it was floated, uh, but has consistently uh, relaunched uh, while saying it's launching now, or it's, it's um, I, <laughs> I guess it's time to become serious um, <laughs> about uh, campaigning against fair, fair pay agreements. I think there have been five or six uh, launch-like announcements about what they're going to do. Uh, if if Labour should try and push fair pay agreements through, which they're going to because they've got a majority, right? And we know that the Labour government, because it has a majority, it it just is flooding uh, politics with progressive policy. So good luck, Business New Zealand. <laughs> but the most recent attempt has been to just utterly lie about our international... Um, relationship with the international labor organization uh the un organization for i guess broadly uh workers rights uh by nominating us for a list of workers uh, breaches of workers rights um for investigation by the un and then putting a new, <laughs> putting a new title on the list um, saying uh, that we are already accused of worse breaches, essentially, uh, lying about that again, uh, lying about the fact that the only reason we're on that list is because they, they nominated us to be on that list. I want to be very clear that the even on the, the long list, we are next to countries that are being investigated for child labour and trafficking. Uh, that That is... What they're trying to include us in, and they've managed to get the buy-in of the employers who are represented on this on this board to, to try and push us further, and they've managed to get onto the short list um, of about 22 different uh, con- uh, different countries or incidents for investigation um, against the different articles um, of the International Labour Organization and our, our media is just giving them puff pieces. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: this is, I guess this is sort of a uh, an extension, a continuation of a previous conversation we had about this uh, when we were, we went through this and then we saying that it's, um, we, at the time we tied it to kind of a, a, a worsening in New Zealand media standards that I think we're seeing this year in the, the bigger, more like establishment voices, like RNZ being the main one, I think. Um, having been the most balanced, uh, you know, balanced with all of the uh, problematic provisos that comes with that word. Um, But, you know, at least usually having um, some degree of kind of journalistic integrity when it came to these issues in the past compared to say the Herald or stuff, they, RNZ has traditionally been a bit more uh, reasonable on these things and not just repeated um, lines. But in this case they've gone basically fully in on uh bnz side and a few other issues recently that it seems like they're trying to fill the void um left by the herald on the center right as the herald becomes our far right uh rag
0: Woohoo! <laughs> um, we have one
1: and it's it's a worry really like the debate grows headline that rnz had is like the the obvious kind of um standard for this issue i guess is that that you can only consider the debate as growing if the only person you're listening to is Business New Zealand, right? If you're if you're locked in a room with Kirk Hope, hope for a fortnight, maybe you come out of that. Did I say Kirk Coke accidentally? That, <laughs> please don't sue me, Kirk. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean maybe that's the only way you could think that debate was growing. I mean, Business New Zealand's been saying the same thing; it's been saying from day one before they saw what the uh, actual legislation would be they were saying maybe we'll support it maybe we won't support it we don't know what it is and then ever since they've seen it they've said this is a breach of our most basic human rights to underpay our staff um, and of the workers
0: under uh, basic human rights what it, to be underpaid it's like it's, it's obscene it's, it's like the most obscene disingenuous uh argument uh, being utilized
1: that's what they do i mean they're doing their job right they're overzealously representing um, the biggest media, uh, sorry, the biggest business science in New Zealand. Um, that's basically their job. But the the problem is because New Zealand's so small, we see them as some kind of um, you know legitimate employers' representation organisation. Well, media do anyway, apparently. Yeah, exactly. So instead of seeing instead of seeing this one guy as um, you know basically an, an astroturfed uh, individual being paid to represent pretty extreme pro-business interests. Um, against a kind of democratically elected government with a fairly moderate agenda for workers' rights, we're saying, uh, oh, this this guy is sort of this half of the equation. It's like Jordan Williams, right? It's basically another Jordan Williams. Yeah, it is. We shouldn't treat him any more seriously. Um, but, I mean, Jordan Williams is getting constantly thrown free media as well, so <laughs> maybe we are. Maybe we are treating him just as seriously, and that's the problem.
0: I think one of the most... S- stunning things to me is after that week where Business New Zealand just got dragged by everyone, uh, you know, people were just point, like pointing out like all the lies they were telling, like the, the stories about it and stuff I think NewsUp even had a crack Phil Goff um, sent a please explain to Business New Zealand uh, how are they not just being laughed out of the room when they are trying to pull this shit instead of just being given like a free headline a what that fucking photo they used a picture of kirk hope in a law library um as that's like the he header done his research kyle
1: that's how you can tell he's got the books right behind him you think he'd just sit in front of 100 books he hasn't read like just
0: a joke what are you talking about like what are you doing Like, <laughs> how, how does how does anything from a reporter to the do we have a chief executive at at rnz look at that and just not go whoops that you know what that
1: sucks. Any any level of editorial oversight, right, over those articles, um, whether that's even like design, <laughs> sub-editing, up to like editorial direction, like who's who's making these decisions? It's something's changed over the last like six months, and it's it's not to the good.
0: Yeah, and you say uh, editorial, but yeah, how do you how do you look at that as an editor and not just say, hey, didn't this guy just get shit on for like two weeks? like isn't it a matter of record that they intentionally misrepresented the international labor Organization's documents uh, to to get a media story pulled the wall over the eyes of two or three different media organizations to run the story like and then and then refused to back down when that was pointed out like how do you continue a relationship with someone who, who lies to you to sell a, a PR line, like, so blatantly. Yeah. Like, what? Have some self-respect. No. <laughs> no, I refuse,
1: Kyle, as a, as a journalist, to have any self-respect. Um, this boot is too delicious, and I will chew on it until I die. No, it's incredible, right? It's, it's flabbergasting, for want of a least childlike word. But, like, there's a, there's a real kind of, um, yeah, a lack of integrity, I think, in a media organization that can publish that article that doesn't even um, cover the previous ground from a week ago, a fortnight ago about that international labor organization, um, dishonesty. And would um, they interviewed Michael Wood um, and asked him some questions about it. He did really well, I thought. He did as well as you can when you're being asked questions like, do you think it's reasonable that workers will be forced to uh, negotiate? Which uh, is by-
0: just fucking lie
1: by 10% of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he, he did very well at saying, actually, that's not how it's going to work, ABC kind of thing. Um, but yeah, just disingenuous and really disappointing from RNZ that they're still going down that path. Yeah, and that's the thing, like,
0: that's one step further as well, right? It's, okay, we, we've given them the PR line, you know, that's that's pretty well established. We'll put, we'll put the PR line in our headline, lucky you. But then to take the business down line and attack... The minister with it instead of it taking any semblance of of balance say okay so how is this going to work hey look there's a question any reporters listening to this take that question ask someone that question instead of going to business new zealand and saying hey what question should we ask the minister bro it's yeah it's it's offensive um but let's let's move on to the next thing because i'm fucking sick of that um i just i just wish i wish more media in new zealand would do anything actually like just do do journalism um when, a- analyze what's happening see how you're like why do you think these organizations exist to to manipulate what you're doing like just take a step back and say hey wait a sec they're taking us for a fucking ride let's yeah. not do it. let's not be let's not get on uh, like, i don't need to punch my ticket Who's funding these people?
1: Uh, what's the trajectory of this organization been? What have their recent uh, press releases been? What do their goals seem to be? Just, you know, do, do one journalism, please.
0: For, just for once, that would be lovely, thank you. And and further disinformation news, the New Zealand COVID response has taken a, probably one of the worst turns uh, since the traffic light system was put in place uh, as a as new, uh, instead of a COVID alert system. Um with the Ministry of Health uh, outright advising people that after a certain amount of time, it doesn't matter if your rat test is returning a positive result, you're safe to return to public.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of these kind of um, uh, anti-science kind of perspectives coming out of ministry at the moment. Um, the the most recent kind of galling um, narrative piece of that I suppose was the please look after yourselves um, press release that I thought was uh, bold from, <laughs> from Hipkins or you know I'm sure it wasn't Hipkins the- it was
0: insane
1: um, it was like okay well thanks for the advice I appreciate that but this is again this is your job you're the Ministry of health I'm not sure what you think you're responsible for but health is sort of your area of expertise and uh, delivery here um, yeah so there's been this you know it's coming into winter in new zealand um, in you know ridiculous upside down southern hemisphere way as we do on an almost annual basis um yeah so it's it's not looking good as, as kyle was saying the numbers are numbers are bad uh numbers are remaining high of cases uh deaths are pretty pretty consistently at a level that when we let's not forget that when we saw this level of per capita deaths Uh, in the States and in the UK in in 2022, sorry, in 2020, uh, Jacinda Ardern and pretty much all of us in New Zealand said that's not a per capita number of deaths we think is acceptable in a society that can avoid that. And turns out it is acceptable and we're accepting it um, on a daily basis in 2022 in New Zealand with the benefit of a couple of years of normalization and giving up in October last year, as as Carl said before. Um, Yeah, I'm obviously quite a kind of COVID hawk (laughs) <laughs> i think we could have done a lot more at every stage
0: i don't know if if you're someone who like values human life and i i hesitate to say this but and have have done any research uh at all and you know when i know how hard that's been memed but it's the the experts that we were listening to in 2020 are saying this you know, the, uh, I'm not saying go on to um, what do they call it the dark web and, and find out uh, everything you need to know about COVID, but just Google um, HN slash uh, <laughs> COVID facts um,
1: dot blogspot dot and yeah, there's t- top ten tips for life. Come straight down from there.
0: Yeah, if you're following any you know, of these people who are accepted as um, as experts, uh, like legitimate academics in this space, uh, communicators uh, about COVID and the public health response over the last two years, apparently, until now, they have all been saying this stuff. They've been saying this stuff since 2020. Um, there is more research now. That, like This is one of the most, if not the most, researched disease in human history. Like well, you know,
1: Given the constraints of the, the amount of time we've had to collect data. Yeah, yeah, no, for obviously. sure. But yeah, I mean, Michael Planck's saying another wave is coming, it's, it's winter, everyone kind of knows that. And yet, um, government modelers don't seem to be uh, including that in any way, or more likely, I think they are including that. And the value judgments being made internally, that that's not enough uh, to want to change any kind of settings. Like this is, I guess this is more like a philosophical kind of question, but um, I think at some point we'll see some OAA releases or someone will leak something internally from the ministry um, or from COVID response team uh, internally, that'll show that there was a debate over basically the value of human life, right? And to what extent are they not accepting the scientific analysis, the scientific models that other people are saying? And to what extent are they accepting that and saying that's worth it for the continued flow of tourists and capital? Because that's the balance, right? Right. That's what that's what they talk about at the top line of any um, you know all of government response at the moment that they're, they're doing essentially the national party line from 2020 2021 saying well you know uh, 13 people 15 people a day like we'd, we'd love those people to be alive but also um, Bruce the chairlift operator in Queenstown in uh, Queenstown is really doing it tough right now um, and instead of paying him to pay his workers we'd prefer to uh, let these fifteen people die around the country, um, which is you know that's the brute reality of of public health as a kind of scarcity measure <laughs> to play into the kind of capitalist trope, I suppose. But I mean that is that's how that's how they're, they're figuring it out. So at the moment, the like the thin end of the wedge of that is obviously schools. Um, go back and listen to the episode Carl did with um, a couple of educators about yeah. that. When was that?
0: Um, maybe. This is actually right before people going back to school. Um, I think maybe they've been back for a week or something. Yeah, yeah. With um, with John and Adam. Yeah. No, it was Ross and Adam. Ross and Adam.
1: Yeah. No,
0: that was yeah, that was an awesome episode, and
1: I think absolutely predicted what is happening now. There are all these um, teachers, principals, um, PPTA representatives coming out and saying exactly what you'd anticipated. Um, numbers are going to go up. Turns out, if you put thirty kids with varying kind of uh, health education, um, economic kind of backgrounds, It closely packed in a room with no ventilation during the midst of a global pandemic. With... Just crack a window, mate. Just crack a fucking window. Yeah, yeah, in the winter, definitely do
0: that. Um, see it's, how it works yeah. out. it's amazing to me because, um, you know, here in New Zealand, we have, we're, we're so good at the number eight wire mentality. And we can just, we can turn our mind to anything and crack a window to solve everything from COVID ventilation issues to multi-homes. You know, there's nothing stopping us.
1: The um, PPTA President Melanie Weber uh, said, you know, strongly recommended is what they're saying, re-masks, right? Strongly recommended to wear masks. That means that most students aren't wearing them, as of course anyone with the most basic kind of life experience could have anticipated. Um, but she also said, I thought pretty concerningly, that a lot of schools feel like they won't be supported by the ministry if they do ask their students to wear masks. So there's some... the
0: ministry have said that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's at every level, there's kind of failure to support it's, these organizations.
0: It's, and we, and we covered that in, in that podcast. Um, the the Ministry of uh, Education created some, uh, some documents based on Ministry of Health uh, guidelines or advice or whatever. Um, and then they said to schools, okay, now apply it. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll send you uh, one air cleaner. It's school's responsibility. You, rather than the most disgusting, like, uh, delegatory language, we trust you to know what your community needs best. Uh, So we're giving you the responsibility of creating a public health plan for your school community. I wonder which schools are going to have the resources and the expertise uh, readily available to do that during a global pandemic, and whether it's all the decile 10 schools or all the decile one schools
1: and also you better not ask us for anything like you can you can write your own plan but don't include any needs for it because you're not getting it
0: yeah I like all these um all these private public schools um like you know kings or they have a an air cleaner in every classroom why don't you have it um any other school should have probably uh, taken more care
1: and looked after your students a bit better there. Yeah, um, so the Taomarama School principal, Tony Gray, said his school had no cases of COVID until this year, and now half the students and more than half the teachers have had the virus, uh, some getting it for the second time less than three months after the previous case, which, you know, we're hearing anecdotal, of, anecdotal cases of this come out more and more, and that's another example of what Kyle said before about official advice just directly contradicting what we're seeing with our eyes, um, which really makes it hard to trust um, a centralized kind of source of truth coming from the government about what we're going to see when we're seeing people catch the virus for the second time or remaining positive for longer than um, they're telling us is, you know, is, is going
0: to keep people down. And it's so galling. Like after after they did this whole we are the one source of truth thing, like they, they consolidated comms uh, into that, into the stand-up, into the Ministry of Health space, it worked incredibly well, and they did it incredibly well. Um, and you know, people made jokes about ah, um, oh, these people did their own research, just went down a rabbit hole, like ah, uh, like. And, and we we called out at the time when they did leave um, a vacuum. We're like, okay, you cannot leave an information vacuum there because things will rush in to fill it, and that's where you will get those conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they were they were few and far between at the time. Now they're propagating that, you know. They are, they are doing things which drive people to question uh, the information that the government is giving them. Uh, as I said, people who are like continuing to follow the experts who were advising the government previously are like, wait, this isn't right. And now it almost feels like labor are weaponizing that to say, oh look, Some more people have gone down the rabbit hole, you're just spreading misinformation because the Ministry of Health is the one who saved you in 2020. And and what it means is that we are going to have, unless there is like, and I'm hoping like it's just a lag and people somehow get this information that you know you're still, you can still spread the virus, even if seven days have passed, um, if you're still showing a positive rep. Because if people trust that from from the Ministry of Health, okay, cool, I'm I'm safe. Uh, I haven't seen, you know, I need to go and help my elderly mother because she hasn't, I haven't been able to get around there to fix uh, her shelves uh, for the last three weeks because I've been sick. All right, okay, cool. Ministry of Health says it's safe. Oops. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and beyond that as well, like from uh, the opposite point of view, if I'm an immune compromised person, uh, spoilers, I am, and I don't know, who is following that advice and who is following, you know, the actual science? What do I do now? Yeah. Like, okay, cool. There are a whole bunch of people in the community who are, who are spreading with no symptoms. Like that that is just the reality of our environment. Now it is, it is a, a piece of information. The ministry of health has put into the community that actively spreads COVID. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't overplay that. Like it's insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um it's really disappointing after having seen how well they did on a bunch of these measures in 2020 and um being being yeah, impressed, I guess, in 2020 that there was the level of kind of um central organization and um direction and ambition in a government organization to be able to do this, to to have that completely kind of torn away and then thrown the other way, you know, any, any level of kind of New Zealand exceptionalism that we thought was there uh, has, has basically been torn apart in the space of a few months. And that shows how fast that can happen. Right. Um, Trust is really hard to earn and very easy to lose for these big organizations and uh, just, you know, napkin, napkin maths wise, the, the, um, the stats around what, 17, in a thousand uh, teachers per week at the moment are testing positive um, for COVID. So, if we're, if we're anticipating this going on for, let's say, a year at comparable levels, if it goes up during winter and down during summer, that's like 88% of teachers, um, not percent of teachers, but you know per week, blah, 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 there'll be inequities within that, um, can be expected to get COVID. One in five people who get COVID suffer from long COVID, which is 12 plus weeks. Um, of symptoms a significant minority of that a lot longer than that can be months can be over a year of severe symptoms so we've basically turned teaching into one of the highest risk professions in the country with over the space of a couple of months purely through health policy changes Um, and I'm not sure what kind of people are thinking will become teachers under these conditions or would stick with that Um, but it's not good it's not good for our children to start at the most basic level um, but also, schools are vectors for society, right? Schools aren't just like atomized things that exist, like little businesses around the country. The community hubs, whether people like it or not, like any, any place where people gather, there are going to be children there. Children tend to go to schools. That's how uh, our, our civilization's been organized in New Zealand. Um, so there's just that, that connects everyone and continues manufacturing and replacing this disease spreading it out and propagating it it's it's basically just ensuring that there's no path to elimination that's what i think that's what bothers
0: me about this the most as someone and who thinks elimination is good and as and if i'm incredibly cynical um and I, I i'm generally not even if i do come across like that you look at this and you say it, the the plan is to to do this the plan was to use schools as a as a spread vector and then move into um this this already constantly failed disproven idea of herd immunity like and 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 endemicity um like it's not it's not sustainable like you you can appeal to the economy and to like business as much as you want like that shit falls over too and it already is um like what what do you think happens when like just our, our health system falls over, <laughs> you know. Like,
1: oops, which we're, seeing, which we're seeing at at an anecdotal level already, right? There are all these articles about, um, you know, specific DHBs or specific uh, health spots. Just you know, doctors around the country like, oh, we're we're too busy, don't come in. The um, and even
0: hospitals had to close to visitors.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? So I I mean I don't know what people thought an overloaded health system would look like, but this is what it looks like. Like it, this is exactly what we've decided. And to be clear, this is what we've been saying since October. This is what we said would happen <laughs> if you give up on uh, stopping a pandemic. A pandemic, it's going to ramp up, and the longer you've managed to put it off, which was obviously a good thing, the faster that ramp's going to going to be once it kicks off. It's amazing that it lasted a few months after October. I thought it would come sooner than that. Um, Just to-
0: Omicron didn't get here fast enough. Mm.
1: Well, it seems to last out Delta better than I, for one, had anticipated. Absolutely, I mm. um, got that got that wrong. I was too pessimistic on that. Um, but yeah, with Omicron, we're seeing what we'd kind of suspected might happen at the end of Delta. And the transmissibility is obviously much worse. It's like long COVID, which we always knew would be the, the kind of secret factor, under investigated kind of secret factor. Studies coming through on that now are talking about like downstream ha- damage affecting uh, brain, heart, lungs, pancreas. So you get diabetes, uh, microscopic blood clots, uh, deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, strokes infection, microclots, lack of oxygen, blah, blah, blah. So it's, I mean, it's a good time around basically. Dementia, anxiety, psychosis, Parkinson's, like I hope the Ministry of Health has that on their negative side of the ledger, right? When they're deciding um, to not support schools, I don't know what they think this generation is gonna look like in terms of the amount we're gonna have to invest in health to have significant increases to all those stats. We're gonna need a health system that's far bigger than we've seen for the last generation, to be able to deliver anything like the level of health we have in a society right now. And that's not taking into account future pandemics, which we're also, you know, accelerating by allowing this virus to spread, right? The faster Omicron spreads, the faster we get BA2, we'll get, you know, whatever is next around the corner. But four that's at how, the moment. That's how that's how viruses work. As as Susie said in um, the chat with her, is you know, that's allowing that to spread is is just accelerating the next.
0: The next variant so yeah yeah and you know if if you're in media or if you're media adjacent and you want to hold this government to account like you absolutely should be hammering on the, them on this every day every stand up you like because they have no answers they're going to look like idiots more cynically if you just want to make them look like idiots if you make want to make labor look weak if you make, want to make it look like they don't know what they're doing because you want a, a different party and in instead so if you're, you know, if you're News Newstalk ZBs, if you're on um, News Hub Breakfast or whatever, yeah, absolutely hammer the government on this. Do it disingenuously. I don't fucking care. <laughs> like, because I, I want to know, I want there to be pressure on them about this. I want them to have to respond. I want them to have to produce the evidence uh, and the reasoning by which they're making these policy decisions. Yeah, and because there's absolutely no pressure except from, from anyone except Mark Dalder. Mark Delder,
1: <laughs> I was about to say, Mark Dalder's the only one. Delegate. Mark Dalder,
0: you're going to pass. Um, sure. and, and, you yeah. know, there are, there are single stories here and there as well, um, where people get some time to do some investigative journalism. Uh, but for the most part, the media seems to have just, oh, okay, this is how it is now. This is a, a constant New Zealand media thing as well. This is how it is, so it's not going to be inquired. It's not yeah. going to be investigated. Um, what's the point? This is just like fish and water kind of shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the memory isn't allowed to extend any longer than a week because that's the the cycle that you have to publish your next piece. So, yeah, it is only these kind of longer form pieces that get a chance to think back as far as two years like it is the easiest job in the world. Just go back to anything that Jacinda said about uh, COVID in 2020 and just copy it and say, Jacinda, why did you do you still believe what you said uh, when you heard about COVID that blah, 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 uh, New Zealand needs to be protected? Uh, people in New Zealand have a better, have an expectation of a better life. Um, we should be able to take radical measures to protect ourselves, that um, money in the economy should be at the service of society and not the other other way around. All this stuff, right? Um, just quote anything, anything yeah. that she
0: said for the first year, of. Uh, and- of the- does she still believe that? And then know your numbers, because what she's likely to say are things along the lines of, oh, we had really high vaccination rates. No, we don't anymore, because booster uptake was so low, especially among uh, younger people in New Zealand. Uh, there, is, there are no other uh, public health measures in place anymore. You know, those, oh, but uh, we still strongly recommend masks. And that means shit, you know, especially when the Ministry of Health is pushing out information which directly counters any form of mitigation. Anyway. What do you think about the idea that um, some of that has just been a following of, of the UK and the US uh, line on this? How much of this is coming uh, from externalities of, of that sort, do you think? Yeah, good question. Um, well, you know, Labor is always,
1: over time, going to trend towards pressures to try to uh, take what they see as the, the median kind of center-right voters um, for PR reasons off the right. And the right have been, in New Zealand, have been very clearly taking cues from uh, the US especially, but also the UK um, and Australia in terms of um, foregrounding trade, foregrounding financial and capital flows, um, which in New Zealand is obviously substantially about tourism and you don't get tourism without humans. So that was always a kind of economic pressure uh, coming from the right in New Zealand. So I don't think you can disentangle really whether, you know, Labour was looking at the US and the UK independently and going, oh, what are they able to achieve that we are not because of you know <laughs> increased uh, freedom of movement versus uh, lockdowns? Um, or whether they were just reacting to what they see as pressure from the right locally. I, I think that's the same pressure to them. And as that, the, it's generally the kind of international business lobby pressure.
0: And Labor was more than happy to claim, look at our economy now, which is um, yeah. after successful lockdowns, right, where we could get out and open. Um, so yes. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, strong borders plus um, MIQ plus, lock, plus lockdowns, you know, that's, that's like an elimination strategy, right? And to be clear, like nobody's talking about that anymore in the political space, right? But what people are talking about, if, like that entire side of the argument that was, that had what 80 plus percent of New Zealand behind it for a long, long stretch of time has capitulated to the minority, the big business lobby perspective which is basically that individuals need to take responsibility for their own safety, masking, ventilation is maybe a slightly more like community approach, but it's still fundamentally kind of decentralized um, a kind of market-based approach to this, right? It's not community um, focused in the same way. Um, Yes, because even if you look at, look at what the Greens are proposing, the Greens aren't proposing elimination anymore and haven't been for a long time since Labor stopped, basically. The Greens are proposing uh, what Labor says plus one, which is, you know, better ventilation in schools, uh, masking requirements, uh, extra protection for places that have been underserved in the past, underprivileged groups, blah blah blah. It's like that's all good. That the, the, I mean, the, none of those things are bad, right? But it's not changing the, the direction of this of this virus. So imagine all those things. Imagine masks in schools were compulsory. Imagine a massive uh, countrywide rollout of uh, ventilators in schools. Um, mm-hmm. Increased like. Air quality, all the, all the good things, right? As well as extra health capacity all around the country. That's basically slowing um, the movement of Omicron around New Zealand. Uh, we'd probably get way fewer deaths, especially over winter. That'd be wonderful. Um, but we're still having extra viruses evolve. We're still having, um, if the borders are open to the same degree, it's still coming in from overseas. So uh, we're not, it's not petering out in New Zealand. It's just coming from Australia. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's kind of staunching the stanching? How do you say that word? Staunching
0: the bleeding. Yeah, you got it. Sure. Um, I can't wait for our first New Zealand variant. Uh, yeah, just holding out for that. Um that's true, Kiwi exceptionalism. Take it, take it to referendum uh, in terms of what we name it. Who knows? So you could be the winner. But yeah, I don't I don't run away from the public. Um, she's she's flown overseas to do a series of um, what so do we call them? them? us on news talk zb we can do it
1: (laughs) you hear that tone dear listener sign us up we'll do a talk back show
0: yeah after after two years she's out um doing the diplomacy thing uh by all by all accounts uh well no that's a lie because by any reasonable account doing doing really well um as as far as such things go uh which i think are, are shit uh, just to be clear, um, the the Western diplomatic rounds uh, are full of crap, and we don't hear about what's actually happening. Um, and there's no analysis. And people either say, "Wow, look at her on that that show she was on. Look at her do this thing," or they say, "The pipe is not doing very good." Read, um, um, yeah, plug for the plug for the one of two hundred article on this. So. Yeah, that one. That see, that's the real analysis. Uh, yeah, we don't get anything useful out of it uh, generally. Uh, what have your thoughts been? The let's do some analysis right now. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, she's doing what prime ministers do, right? She's going to other countries, seeing other other leaders, and saying,
0: "Fantastic, fantastic analysis."
1: We love trade. Um, Sovereignty is fun. Uh, how do you feel about security? I think it's good, but it. I mean, yeah, it's it's all very kind of theater, as these as these things have to be, um, and very managed. It's, it's funny that um, Christopher Luxon took the opportunity to say that it, it shows that Nanaya Mahuta hasn't been doing enough. <laughs> what? But well, uh, this is
0: part of a coordinated campaign uh, across multiple AstroTurf groups uh, and at least Active National to try and pressure Nanaya Mahuta. And yeah. to, to the extent that they are manufacturing uh, hit pieces via the platform to get picked up and in, in, um in mainstream media, uh, around like impropriety or whatever uh, for selecting uh, roles. Uh, and then every single, <laughs> every single uh, NMP like puts it up as their Facebook status. Yeah. like they're, they're, they're really, it's so barefaced. Uh, again, anyone in media, just just look at where this has come from and what is happening, and please, they're using you. They're like, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty, it's
1: pretty funny. Uh, it's pretty funny because um, what uh, the way that Christopher Luxon phrased it was that um, he was saying it's it's good that Jacinda Ardern's gone overseas and it's good for a prime minister of a little country like ours to be seen on the big stage. So that's the like you know tick uh, centrist who watches uh, one news out of the corner of their eye um, whilst making breakfast. Like that's you can hear him being like demographic one check. Um, and then he's like, uh, but what it shows up is that our Minister of uh, Foreign Affairs you know, Mahuda, has really been uh, lost in action or something like has been um, not not doing enough is what he's what he's saying and then pivots immediately to say it's because she's too focused on local government because she does both local government because he's trying to talk about three waters without saying three waters right he's trying to make a, a conversation about international affairs be about three waters and it, it's not it's fundamentally not right so he's he's trying to Plug that like little like racist button without having to push it. So he's trying to say, uh, "Watch out, the the Maoris are coming for you and taking your taking your stuff." In a conversation about Jacinda Ardern meeting uh, Joe Biden, a bold a bold move. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it really worked.
0: Hey, but it, it's bold and it's just dumb and just so clear oh. what he's trying to do, and everyone just like mm, <laughs> It was an, a, a, a hungry eating noise uh, by New Zealand's media. For those listening at home, I mean, um,
1: Winston, Winston Peters had a little quote that I thought was um, more kind of reasonable about um, that the the fact that it has been such a kind of hot air exchange and no real tangible uh, good has come out of it. And it's like, well, we need we need strategies going into these international affairs meetings, not public relations, blah blah blah. Like easy stuff to say. He wouldn't have done anything different, but as usual, like in opposition, Winston Peters had, makes a few good points and then tries to, you know. Gin it up with manufactured outrage and get back in and do exactly what the previous person does. That's his shtick, right? That's the, that's the Winston Peters bit. He's an outsider, uh, Philip. And what, huh? He's an outsider. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, former acting prime minister, deputy prime minister, minister, minister of foreign affairs, Winston Peters, was presumably implying that he would have visited Joe Biden way more times um, than uh, Jacinda Ardern has if he'd, if he'd still been in power for the last, last three years. Um, which is, yeah, it was kind of cute, but he, like, he does have some good points about the, the lack of support we've given to the Pacific. Um, and he was actually pretty good on that stuff. As minister of foreign affairs, he massively increased um, some of our relationships with some Pacific islands uh, and the whole like Pacific reset, which obviously got a bit oversold, but some of that stuff is right. Like we have massively um, ignored that part of, that part of the world, considering we are part of that part of the world. Um, and it's weird, Winston Peters is one of those kind of interesting figures, right, because sometimes he'll put his finger on something because he's enough of a nerd that he'll listen to um, the occasional academic who'll put his finger on something and be like, oh, actually that is a good point, we do need to do that but it doesn't fit with the rest of his ideology or the rest of his narrative at all, so he'll he'll just say one, one thing that you're like, oh yeah, that is, that is a really good point why are we doing that, and why are no other politicians talking about this, and then he'll you know, bottom of the barrel, go back to talking smack again but yeah I mean the obvious the obvious thing recently with the uh, New Zealand US relationship has been that joint uh, press release right that they were we were sort of purporting to have I guess explicitly purporting to have matched security concerns in the Pacific when it comes to uh, China increasing their role um, and that's I think putting it gently like we' we're, we're very clearly back in the U.S. sphere of influence in, I think, the strongest way we've been um, for years, right? Since long
0: ago. I am. Yeah. i happy to like to say that. I, I don't think it's even debatable.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm really struggling to think of counterexamples to that, but it does. It does feel that way, right? That the um, the Jacinda Grant, Nanaya, like none of those people get off scot-free for this direction, right? This is their responsibility, and they're putting New Zealand back firmly into the U.S. orbit at probably a worse time to do that than any in the last couple of decades. Um, China is ascendant, as everyone keeps saying, in a a way that is... And that's why
0: we need to do this, Philip. That's why we need to do a military, uh, political and economic encirclement of China. Look, New Zealand,
1: uh, Kiwis love an underdog. Um, And as the US becomes closer to... (laughs) We need to uh, back up our... Um, military superpower uh, ally there and increasingly cheer for the, the little go-getters
0: and little old US of A. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the press junket aside, you know, the, the theater aside, um, like a huh, whole bunch of stories and, and information or like um, whatever has come out of that, but that's not really what's important. Um, like anything could have happened in that space, What's important is what policy comes out of it, how we're aligning ourselves, and what are the outcomes of that uh, over the next, like, 50 years. I don't know what specifically has led to this Labour government deciding to, to take really big steps back towards the US, but it's another one of those things where I'm like, I just want to, please, just release this information, like... I, I'm sure they make claims about like, oh, Chinese threats are. Five Eyes has been showing some stuff, yada yada. Um, we had uh, a, a couple of months ago now the uh, furor over the Solomon Islands, um, which was like just bullshit. Uh, but had some in Australian media saying that we should invade. You know, that's outrageous. <laughs> it's absolutely outrageous. Uh, but. Whether it's that kind of build-up and rhetoric uh, among our supposed allies uh, out here, um, or if the US is dangling uh, something—whether that's a a threat or or trade offers—I'd like to know what it is. Um, But in the end, yeah, it's it really just does come down to we are the the West is drawing very clear boundaries around who gets to be a part of the team Uh, and New Zealand has decided uh, under under Ardern that yeah we're not we're not staying neutral in this
1: yeah it's a it's a continuation of um John Key's that's the price of entry to the club mentality um to the US which I mean to to on, the, on a very rare occasion, like a note of uh, support for one, th- like John Key's approach, is that he was obviously massively influenced by Helen Clark, right? Much as uh, the Jacinda leadership has been massively influenced by Key, they have these kind of uh, horror figures in their mind of the the specter that they're shadow boxing, right? And I think Key's um, occasional enthusiastic support for a more kind of a stronger, and more unified security alliance with a uh, US-led kind of global uh, superpower was at least tempered at times by that. Like he would, he'd say some things that sounded much more uh, '90s, right? So he, he would sort of make little indications that New Zealand is like a little independent bit player in the world, and like trade first, obviously, but very, very intentionally making those connections. And he had obviously personal and Uh, business interests with enough um, connected kind of integrated Chinese players that he couldn't lean too much into the like rhetorical superiority side of that, right? The U S as um, as supreme kind of nature of that, that kind of narrative, he couldn't do so much, but the occasional kind of, yeah, price of entry to the club mentality um, seems to have been only increased which is disappointing from a Labour a Labor government, right? They didn't really talk about foreign affairs much in their campaigns in um, 17 or 20, but it's surprising, I think. And Nanaia Mahuta, like, I don't know a huge amount about her personally, but the records that I'd seen and secondhand what I'd heard about her and why I was initially kind of optimistic that she'd be an interesting um, foreign affairs minister is that she has this extensive history dealing with like different institutions, different organizations with different levels of independence, like all of these intra-iwi negotiating skills and the kind of legal understanding of different treaties, working at different levels and a complex kind of interplay and the like personal relationship management skills to handle that. I was like, that's an interesting, that's the right kind of person, I think, to negotiate an independent foreign policy for a small country like New Zealand without, um, being forced too much to lean one way or lean another way. And we really just haven't seen any of that. Like I'm happy to leave, like leave some of that at Nanaimo Huda's door at this point because it's been long enough. Like if you're Minister of Foreign Affairs under this government, you have to bear some responsibility for the fact that we're increasingly kowtowing
0: uh, to the US for no discernible gain. And we don't and like for for loss probably, um, if any of China's statements are uh, to be seen as as Beyond uh, rhetorical, um, in terms of the economic relationship, and you know, it's Australia has already gone through this. Uh, they had a, a whole range of um, kind of diplomatic uh, back and forth uh, with with China. They, you know, there's a whole bunch of economic stuff that, that came with that. And who who swept in um, and picked up that Australian uh, Chinese market? The US.
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh, a skeptic or a a conspiracy theorist might say that it actually benefits the U.S. quite a lot economically to be forging these like rhetorically strong, substantively weak uh, security alliances with small uh, small countries like us who don't have the you know trade superiority to compete with their chops. Because then, when if China finally gets mad uh, and hits us with some form of sanction or some form of uh, tariff, then their companies will inevitably be the ones to sweep in. So yeah, it, it, it's interesting, right? Because that kind of, that path that China, the China-Australia uh, relationship forged was a bit hotter. Obviously they they started at a, a more intense kind of um, place and, and it got further, but it it's interesting that after having watched that all play out, New Zealand is still, walking down that path like it shows a real I don't think it shows a lack of foresight because these people know what they're doing but it, it shows a kind of ideological commitment or strategic commitment to this path that's really surprising and considering we haven't really seen an explanation for it I think quite quite concerning
0: and I just don't know what we think we're going to get out of it I think is the the worry for me um, you know we're heading into a, a period of uh much worse uh effects of climate change we're going to have a a range of pacific neighbors who are struggling with it incredibly china has looked like it's more willing to help with that the us certainly hadn't until china started asking about a base in the solomons yeah you know and also i don't i don't trust us capital like and i think that's what it comes down to largely for me in terms of responding to these, you know, the crises of the next few decades, like what, what are the U S going to do? Send like the Marines, like not, not if it's going to cost them, not if they're going to make a buck out of it. Yeah. Um, Whereas China, at least is going to be saying, we think that it would be good to not go underwater.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't need to trust, like, yeah, this is the problem with foreign affairs conversations, right, is that it does come down to quite, like, it often comes down to very vibes based or, like, child, like, playground level, kind of, who do you trust, uh, who do you like, who's your best friend kind of language, um, especially in, like, short form media, and that doesn't really convey anything, like, you don't have to trust the Chinese government or trust American capital to like prefer either of those on an individual level for specific treaties or agreements, right? In fact, it has been idiot to completely trust either of those organizations. Um, but you also have to live in the real world where the US is the base of, you know, really the world's only like global uh, military superpower and hegemonic finance capital. Like China is a is a growing. Uh, force and is increasingly economically um, able to do its own things and have kind of regional supremacy and be concerning in a bunch of these ways that interfere with human rights of all sorts of organizations like without getting too much into like uh, Xinjiang or Hong Kong or Taiwan like as these as these uh, countries grow of course the, the degree of military and economic supremacy they can assert over these different regions becomes greater and greater obviously right but that doesn't negate the, the context of the world we, we live in. Um, and it's kind of childish to focus on the former without reference to the latter, right? That's the that's the difficult line to tread in these, these foreign affairs kind of conversations.
0: And only, or at least partly, because this is how like everyone talks about them and, and they shouldn't because it's dumb. Um, yeah, I was going to say, so to
1: bring it back to kind of... Uh, thinking locally, uh, acting locally, um, I suppose when, when nationals asked about what they would do differently or to bring it back to the, the budget, there was some more spending on military, um, capacity increasing, uh, replacing things that, you know, we'd already started replacing some platforms and, um, some of that, I think is probably some of that spending, I think is probably justified that might get my, that might get me, um, canceled from some of the more, uh, neck left-wing circles um but you know if you have if you have a bunch of planes that you're not flying because they keep breaking you should probably get rid of them or get new planes (laughs) um but i think there's a there's a really interesting conversation there to be had that i haven't seen since um keith Locke made it a few years ago that uh it's the it's the weapons and the platforms that we're buying that are the problem um over and above the fact that we're buying them so um uh, some years ago when new zealand first and labor first massively increased the, the military budget. Was that 20, 2018, I think? Um, they spent a whole bunch replacing some old uh, old gear and a huge proportion of that spending was explicitly so that it could be compatible with American weapon systems. And we don't need to be doing that, right? That, that's an ideological choice. That's a commitment to picking a side. Um, there's, there's, there's no reason to do that other than placating uh, the bully in the playground, right? So, so that's the kind of level that I think the the kind of local policy discussion can be had on, that can actually like make make these people make explicit their commitments. So, all we've seen from from Luxon about military spending so far, as far as I've seen, uh, is that he doesn't disagree with it um, when he's asked about it. Whenever he's asked about are we spending too much or too little on the military, he says I agree with the direction. Uh, that this government's taken on increasing military spending. Uh, he won't say anything specific about whether he thinks certain things are good or bad. He just keeps saying there's other wasted spending, which presumably is, you know, helping poor and sick and old people is probably what he thinks. No, no, I
0: think we've probably gone in a good direction on that as well. Um, it's just, you know, this I, I think if we got the chance to have a look at it, um, you'd see that there's was some wasted spending
1: uh, in other places. Other places, though, yeah. Other secret places. Behind a the couch, there's a huge amount of change down there. Um, if, we, if we gave... Uh, Deloitte, uh, two point four billion dollars to come in. They'd probably find some some of that change behind the couch to pull out. A yeah. couple of bucks. Yeah. So I think yeah that on that kind of thing and on um, like information warfare type stuff, uh, SIS um, connecting to five eyes, this this kind of uh, information sharing stuff. These are all ideological choices, right? And that's the kind of thing that I think is really under at the moment in New Zealand because we've been increasingly taking this path like we've spoken on the, about this on the podcast before um about uh Rocket Lab and about uh the GCSB this has been like a devil's bargain that we've been in and it's got stronger and stronger and stronger and that's indicative right if we if we're leaning one way China's not stupid they they can see that we've been leaning towards the US increasingly. Yeah. And if we're operating off the same information that they are and that and they're operating off the same information that we are, it, there becomes a lower and lower cost to China just treating us the same and saying, well, we there's no reason for us to have a good relationship with you.
0: Yeah. I think that's what uh, a lot of the analysis has missed, is that it's not that we've just gone... Um... Full in on the US uh, over the last couple of months uh, with what's happening in Ukraine, and then with this round of diplomatic uh, visits by Ardern. Donating, we started donating money to NATO. I have to say this every time, but we literally did that. Like it's, it's insane. Like, uh, but if you're laying down train tracks and you've got a little carriage on them, um, you know you're going to end up at the end of that that railway that's just how it works and and that's what the the infrastructure that we have been building over the last decade or so it is it's it's a series of rails that locks us in a direction and we are we're just starting to see the the station over the horizon um oh wait that's um absolute u.s hegemony oh oh fuck yeah all our Fucking intelligence systems, uh our US systems. Oh uh, And and we have a bunch of like military capable hardware that only works uh with US hardware. Uh the security
1: intelligence we've been sharing has been coming from the US and going to the US. Oh no, it makes sense.
0: And you know, it, it was it was predictable is is what I'm saying. Um and it is the decisions that are made, not the at a at an economic um, and, and military and, and whatever level that are important, not the announcements we, we add our name to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Cause really like we've, we've only kind of touched on this in bits and pieces as it's come up, but it's been a trajectory, like you're saying, like the, I think the train track um, metaphor is quite strong because it's, it's difficult to change tack once you start doing this um when there have been generational opportunities to replace military hardware we've deliberately picked american military hardware
0: and that's generational right like these these things are meant to last for
1: like 50 years <laughs> uh, that's an indication of a plan like they didn't have to spend those extra hundreds of millions on ones that were explicitly compatible with american submarines like that that was not a choice they had to make and there was no uh, spending line in that budget that explained what reason there was for that in fact The Ron Marks rhetoric that year was very much around like supporting supporting the Pacific with climate change efforts and uh, natural disasters and all this kind of thing, right? But it can be whatever you want. As you say, it's about the spending choices, it's not about the headlines and the PR.
0: I think that's a sad place to leave it. Um, I I think like maybe the last thing I'll say is this is now just the environment that we're in. Um, Like, it's what we, we do from here. Like we're, we're already past this point. If, we, if we've done this analysis and we can make a, a strong argument that this is the direction we're heading and we're not really getting off, what do we do with that? Um, because just asking labor to resile from some of the statements isn't gonna cut it at this point if we're uh, not pro-US.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think we need to stop pretending that we're still an independent um, actor. And acknowledge that we're on we're so we're so far on the path to uh, you know vassal state status for the U.S. Empire that like what we need to be fighting for and pushing for now is independence again, um, as opposed to thinking that that's something we already have while it's being kind of pulled out from under us. Like we what we should be what we should be saying the goal is is what we thought we had uh, ten years ago. It's something I think we need to just acknowledge and move on from. Um, Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me and the listener
0: listening to us. Yeah, you. <laughs> you. Yeah, the listener, the audience. As a hey.
1: conservative, I think we need to go back to a past where we were, <laughs> we were an independent actor on a brave, brave young player on the international stage with our own values. Yeah.
0: Hey, that's... We will leave it there. We're, we're done. We're, we're done for the weekend. Uh, we're done for the week. Thanks for joining me, Philip. It's, it's been a pleasure as as usual. You too. Cheers thanks for listening everyone yeah and if you've enjoyed it share it around if you think there's analysis here that people need to hear let them know uh jump onto our website one of 200.nz there's a whole bunch of articles up there recently uh, about a whole bunch of uh mostly local uh issues which uh, which are really good reading uh hop over to our patreon and support us we've we've said multiple times during this uh episode the media is not doing enough they're they're doing a terrible job of pulling apart what's happening in politics in this country uh, they are absolutely captured by astroturf groups like Business New Zealand, fund independent media. Um, yeah, get on board with our Patreon and and throw us a, a few dollars a month. It really does help uh, us to to do more things. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate everyone's support. We'll be back next week with another episode for you on New Zealand current events.
1: Relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams. Is the lie aspirational? Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams. Is the lie aspirational? Will you die keeping your glass half full?
0: your nation, you hate nationalism.